Welcome to the Energy Newsbeat Daily Stand-Up, June 16th. It is Friday. We are so excited that you made it to Friday. Today is a summary of everything that happened in the week. And boy, it's been a crazy week out there. Next week, we've even got more stories coming up. I'm interviewing uh, Dr. Uh, Moore, Patrick Moore, who is the uh, co-founder of Greenpeace Monday night. I'm really excited about that. So we'll be having that uh, podcast coming out uh, next week as well, too. So uh, with that, have a great weekend and we look forward to hearing from you soon. And we're now in North Dakota tribe buys idle oil pipeline from Enbridge. I absolutely love this story. The Native American tribe in North Dakota bought the energy companies uh, Enbridge to help, not inbred, uh, kind of like what your ancestors coming from Arkansas were. The Hadan Hestat and uh, Arcata uh, Nation announced Friday, that, but did not disclose how much it paid. The tribe expects the pipeline, which will connect its oil facilities on its Fort Berthold Reservation to Enbridge Large Pipeline. I am very, very happy yes. for them. That needs to be revenue for that tribe. And there are yes. more than 2,600 active oil and gas wells on the reservation. I'd like to go one step further, Michael. Is there any way that those uh, natural gas d dividends or natural gas could go straight to them to deliver low carbon electricity and stuff? I'd say burn no, the gas. No, because I don't think the I don't think the reservations own the minerals, and this is where I think this is why it's critical that you know the last sentence of this article: owning the pipeline will benefit the tribe financially, and that's why this. Native American tribe went ahead and bought this. I mean, you think about it. There's 2,600 active wells doing 144,000 barrels of oil, oil per day, according to the U.S. Department of Minerals. It's going to right. allow them to basically get their hands and get squeezed in to the oil market. And again, there's, there was a, probably a lot of bridge financing involved with this. You know what I mean? Right. They, they didn't buy but this bad boy in cash. Somebody came in and financed this thing till the cows come. The question is what this is going to most likely allow them to do is, again, unlock 3,900 oil and gas wells that companies who own that lease probably want to drill. And now they're right. going to be able to take a fee, a per barrel fee for transporting this oil. Right. So if they don't have the minerals, they at least get something for the everything pumped out of there. Exactly. I, which I is think. why buying this pipeline is advantageous because now you get a a small slice of, you know, whatever, whatever it is. And if you're talking, you know, 2,600 oil and gas wells are doing 145,000 barrels of oil a day. Imagine what 3,900 new it, wells would be doing. This particular portion of the pipeline that they bought can transport 15,000 barrels per day. Whoop, whoop. Hey, rock and roll. Um, you know, I, and I always love transporting on a uh, pipeline instead of via a tanker. So. Oh, absolutely. You'd much rather this than a train. Holy smokes, you'd rather this. But great, great. Uh, we love this. We love I this agree. move. Love more people getting their hands on pipelines. I love the the de-divestiture of pipelines from big big entities to smaller entities. Yes. 
you know, much like what's going on in Colorado right now with the EMP sector, you're going to end up seeing one to two large players. That's what's happening and been happening in the pipeline space. I love this decoupling from standpoint and Enbridge is notoriously a horrible midstream operator. I'll just go out there and say that they routinely rank as one of the lower midstream operators. Um, for a variety of reasons. We saw that specifically in in the Dallas Fed survey um, that came out a month and a half ago. So but all in all, love say, this. Uh, going back and forth between the Canadian border, the um, I believe it's the Michigan governor uh, has been really wiping them out and it's really caused some issues between Canada. So they're having to deal with a lot of headaches. So mm, um, yeah. I'm only going to defend them for about two and a half seconds. Talk about scary. How world domination is within Tesla's grab. I need to hear this one. Okay. Listen to this one. Imagine a firm where, let me read you these bullet points, where all managers and staff are expected to work as entrepreneurs with no budget limits, constraints, or spending, performance reviews done by the staff, not the bosses, Mm -hmm. practically no managers, no controls from HR. Oh, we got to implement that here at Sandstone. No career planning and no managerial ladder to climb. Welcome to Tesla. <laughs> I just, I love the way he's thinking about this. He's also demanding everybody show back up to the office. What do you think about that, Michael? Well, I mean, I think you have to put the office conversation aside because I think it's a nuanced conversation. I think they're. There are things about the in-person experience that is hard to replicate and is impossible to replicate via Zoom. Now, there's something to be said about hybrid work, in my opinion, doesn't work because now, well, unless it's done on a consistent company basis that the entire company works on Monday, everybody goes to work, everybody stays home on Tuesday, everybody shows Uh, up on Wednesday versus what like my brother has where, you know, it's, you know, he works for Medtronic, which is, you know, a Fortune 50 company. You can... Tiber, you work whenever you can show up to the office, you cannot show up to the office, and it causes confusion and not confusion, but right. you end up when you go to the office, you end up still engaging and interacting with people in a virtual way. So it lessens the impact of the office when there is nothing more powerful than four people around a whiteboard trying to map out a solution. Oh, you absolutely. can't beat that. You can't beat that solution. Now, do I think remote work is a positive thing and and it should be uh should be embraced? Of course, because there's something, I mean. There's something like when you talk about focus and being able to like get focused quality work done, it can, it can be hard in office. Trust me. I deal with that more than anybody. I got to put a do not, I literally have a do not disturb sign on my office because you've got people that don't care and just boom, walk in. They don't care if your door is shut, you know? So getting focused, consistent work can be hard at the office. And so that's why I think in an ultimate case, there's a balance, but I see Major pushbacks from hybrid. So I'd lean one way or the other. He leans in person. Great. You know, I'm not looking to work at Tesla conveniently. What I think is interesting is no career planning. That's hilarious. No controls from HR. Sounds fun to me, honestly. Practically no managers. Performance reviews done by staff. That's smart. All about that. Very. Intel did that as well. Here's here's where it all comes down to it. You also get into the new AI and agile systems in here. It all boils down to this. The result of everything that we talked about is uh, the result is a radically different kind of company. Tesla can make up to 60 model changes per day to its vehicles per day, whereas the other auto manufacturers are making model changes every three to five years. Elon's 
brilliant. It doesn't matter what company he's done. His management and employee processes transcend markets. Yeah. I mean, what he's doing is he's is he's creating a culture in which if you are passionate about electric vehicles, if you are passionate about software, if you are passionate about doing stuff that other people said is impossible, you're going to love to work here because there's no barriers. There's no constraints on how you can work. Now, some people don't like that. Some people love the bureaucracy and need the bureaucracy and they need that five layers of management like I had this morning. You know, I had four meetings back to back to back to back. And you know how much got accomplished at those meetings? Zero. It's insane. So I'm yeah. with them on no meetings. Well, my dad, uh, who was a very uh, uh, executive commander in the military, he had a rule of 15 minutes unless it was a very, very big meeting. It was 30 minutes. And if you couldn't get uh, you couldn't get past that sentence, you're out and he's on to the next person. There's a lot you can get done that way. Yeah. I mean, meetings should be reserved for <laughs> there is an issue you have with somebody. And the only thing we need to do is is hash out the issue. That's what a meeting is for, or presenting findings in a way, in like a, to an audience of more than like three people. If your meeting is three people, eh, email. If you have to invite more than, you know, there's got to, there's some threshold of people where, okay, this qualifies as a meeting. Also just the fact that most meetings, they're just, they're pointless. I don't want to get thrown off track. Okay. I've been, for weeks, I've been steaming on this. So you've touched a nerve with that. I think the best place to start really is 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 with this debt deal. You know, we saw that get cut, uh, officially passed yesterday. You know, to kind of rewind a second, the, the fallout specifically for the oil and gas and, and energy business was really the, the regulation surrounding NEPA. NEPA stands for the National Environmental Policy Act. And, and one of the things that was included in this debt ceiling negotiation from the Republican side of the aisle was, hey, if we're going to have all of this spending for renewable energy, and this was also a position taken by some of the Democrats, we need to make large scale energy projects permit quicker. And so what 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 happens under these new rules is NEPA is now basically attempting to streamline and make sure that multiple agencies aren't really all three doing the same job. You know, particularly um their att- you know, particularly the agreement to approve the Mountain Valley pipeline in West Virginia to Virginia has gotten the Sierra Club all riled up. I could spend, you know, we could spend all the time in the world and I'm not the one to talk about the political fallout from the debt ceiling. Stu will do that and probably scare us all. What I look at it is large scale energy projects need a level of regulation, but they don't need the level of regulation that they've always had. I think I talked about this in a previous solo show. I mean, the, the NEPA process is absolutely insane. You're talking about wells, you know, if you're talking about mines, you know, years in this process, pipelines, years in this process, large scale offshore wind, years in this process. And and I'm down for cutting that time down. Now, I think, you know, they'll always find a way to regulate or, you know, to regulate through legislation or legislate through regulation, excuse me. But I think it's going to be, it's, it's going to be very fascinating about how these new rules are applied. I can guarantee you there's some consultants, there's some regulatory consultants running around now in the energy business, reading whatever these documents are. You know, again, when your companies like, when your clubs like Sierra Club and, you know, the Center for Biological Diversity come out 
and are against it. I mean, that tells you all you need to know about where the rules are taken. This is going to apply not just for large scale energy projects like pipelines, but it's probably going to help get oil and gas fields developed, no doubt. So um, I think all in all, if you're in the oil and gas business where I am, um, the, the, this is going to be helpful. I think if you're in the midstream business, it's going to be helpful. I think if you're in the mining and metals business, this is going to be helpful. I think if you're in the renewables business, it's going to help you. Again, they want slow regulations. It's clear. You read this article. I didn't even mention the title of the article. Texas producers hope debt limit puts oil and gas projects on the fast track. See, that's how bad I am when I'm doing these solo shows. Um, I didn't even get to the article title at the end, but I say all that to say the debt deal I think is good for oil and gas. It's good for energy, all types of energy. I'm, I'm all about streamlining regulations um, and, and, and go from there. Beware the stock market rally because it's reminiscent of what led up to the 2008 crisis. JP Morgan Asset Manager. Okay, this one is kind of interesting. Um, the market stock markets rally. This is the first line out of the article. Ongoing rally is the calm before the storm, according to JP Morgan's asset management. Bob uh, Michelle told uh, CNBC the current market conditions remind him of the March to June period of 2000. Um, you see that we're seeing things you only see in recession or where you wind up in a recession. Uh, that, that to me is kind of frightening uh, on, on that standpoint is because we don't know. Has the Fed done a good job to this point? No. Can they get us back around out of this? I don't think so. And I think the only way that the Fed can get inflation, uh, the Biden administration just released a, a, a publication saying that inflation is down. But another article came out and said that it is cumulatory, not the way that they, they were misleading the public. And so we're actually up 13 percent still in a uh, overall inflation area. So let's all fact check each other. Take a look at that. Hey, thank you for listening to the weekly wrap up. My name is Stu Turley, and we are so glad for all of our uh, listeners that are out there, all of the interactions that we get. Thank you so much. Like, subscribe, leave us only five-star reviews, and uh, we really look forward to seeing you. Michael and I will be back uh, recording on Sunday, getting ready for the week. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon.